I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one with you, to Romans 3. If you don't have one with you, no sweat. The words will be on the screen uh, behind me. So, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as the mercy seat by His blood, through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we consider your word tonight on this special night where we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, as we look to Romans 3 for guidance tonight, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us, give us minds that comprehend what you are speaking to us here tonight from your word. Give us hearts that are eager to obey. God, be in this place and work through your word to reveal yourself to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't give you four reasons tonight that Jesus was born. Because obviously Christmas is a time when we celebrate the fact that Jesus was born, but the 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 beauty of that story comes from knowing why he was born. And so tonight from this passage, I just want to, I just want to touch on four reasons that Jesus was born. If you have the handout that we gave you on the way in, go ahead and get that out. You can flip it over to the back. You'll see those listed there with some fill in the blanks. There should be a pen on the seat in front of you. If you grab that, we can fill in some blanks together. The first point is this. Jesus was born to reveal God's righteousness. Jesus was born to reveal God's righteousness. When Jesus comes to the earth, born as a baby, grows up and lives life as a man, one of the things that he is doing is he is revealing God to us. The Gospel of John says this in John chapter 1, that nobody knew God, nobody had seen God, but through Jesus he was revealed to us. And then, and then here in Romans 3, Paul specifically says that it's not just that God is revealing himself, but he's revealing this specific part of his nature, his righteousness. This is what the verse says. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. So God, from the very beginning, from the, very, from the time of the first man and woman, from the time that Adam and Eve fell and rebelled against God, God had been working his plan of redemption. He had been working his plan to bring people back to himself. When Adam and Eve sinned and then the whole human race after them fell into sin and we all confirm that fall by sinning ourselves, that sin separates us from God. It puts a distance between us and God. And it does that necessarily because God is just and God is righteous and God will not tolerate sin in his presence. But that's bad news for us. Because if our sin separates us from God, who is the source of life, then we have no access to life. We have no access to him. And so God is addressing this problem and the the biggest step that he is 
taken to date when we begin to read about the story of Jesus' birth. The biggest step is happening here in that story that Jesus is born into the world so that God can bring us back to him. If sin has separated us, then the Savior has come to bring us back to him. But, but first, he must reveal God's righteousness. What does it mean that he reveals God's righteousness? Well, I think part of, at least part of what that means is that Jesus came to make known God's standard of righteousness. You and I, we, we tend to measure or assess ourselves by comparing ourselves to one another. And if you're like me, you always pick somebody who's a little bit worse than you. And you say, well, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as, I'm not, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. Yeah, I do all kinds of things wrong and I sin and I mess up and, and you know, I, I don't always do the right thing. But so-and-so, you know, this is, and this was easy growing up because I had an older brother and he was always worse than me. So it was always easy just to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. But we all do this. We all compare ourselves to a standard that is going to make us look good or make us look better than than perhaps we really are. But what Jesus does is when Jesus comes, he reveals God's righteousness. He sets the standard. He, he, He manifests, he makes known what God's standard of righteousness is. What's God's standard of righteousness? It's the perfect, sinless life that Jesus lived. When Jesus lived without sin, he's he's, he's setting the bar, and he's saying, this is the standard. And that was always God's standard, but it it was never displayed in such a clear and obvious way as it was in the life of Jesus. And so when Jesus is born and when he lives, he's revealing God's righteousness. And now that is the standard by which we will be judged. That's the bad news. We won't be judged according to somebody that we pick out of the crowd that we think that we're better than them. We'll be judged according to the righteousness, according to the standard that is set by Jesus. So he's born into this world to reveal to us that righteous standard, to reveal to us the, the expectations or the criteria by which we will be judged. That's kind of bad news. But the good news in that is, well, we're going to get to the good news. The good news will unfold as we go through this. Let's look at the second thing. The second thing, uh, the second reason that Jesus was born is that Jesus was born for all nations. Jesus was born not only to reveal God's righteousness, but he was born for all nations. At the time of Jesus' birth, God's revelation had been mainly to and through his chosen people, the people of Israel. He had made himself known. He had chosen a man named Abraham, and through Abraham and his wife Sarah, he began a new nation of people who would be known as the Israelites or be known as the Jews when when we speak of their religious affiliation. They would be known as the Jewish people or the Israelites. And God's plan was never to stop with them. In fact, he said, when he spoke to Abraham about what he was going to do, he said to Abraham that through him, he was going to bless the people of all nations. And now that's what God is doing. He's taking this this huge leap forward in his plan by sending the one who would be born for all nations. Verse 22 says, 
The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. What Paul is talking about isn't totally clear here in verse 22 unless you look at the broader passage. If you look at the verses before the verses we read and even the verses after, Paul is talking about the differences or distinctions between Jews and non-Jews. In the Bible, non-Jews are referred to as Gentiles. And so he's, he's saying, yes, God appeared to the Jews and he, he, he has revealed himself to them. But through the Jewish people came Jesus, who was born to be a savior, both for Jews and non-Jews, for all nations. He says there's now no distinction. The distinction that once existed between the Jewish people and the Gentile people has been erased in Jesus. And now all have the same opportunity to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This is for all people. This is for every nation under the sun. This is for people throughout all of human history to be saved through Jesus Christ, their Savior. The third thing that you'll see on the handout is this, that Jesus was born to save sinners. He was born to reveal God's righteousness, and he was born for all nations. And perhaps most importantly, he was born to save sinners. When Paul says there's now no longer any distinction between Jew and Gentile or between Jew and non-Jew, he's referring to the fact that the, the lack of distinction comes down to the fact that we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That standard that was revealed by Jesus, he says it this way in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means none of us live up to this standard. None of us live the life that God made clear that he requires through Jesus' perfect and sinless life. Nevertheless, look at verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To be justified when you have not lived up to the standard is an act of grace. It's getting credit for something that you did not do. Say you signed up for a college course online, or or let's say you signed up for a college course you're supposed to take in person, but you never went to class. You never did any of the work. Um, You didn't take any of the tests. Uh, The teacher didn't even know who you were. And at the end of the semester, you get your grade, and you got an A+. Did you earn that? No, you earned a zero. You, are, you, you earned a failing grade. But you were gifted an A. Now, that's not a very fair way to hand out academic credentials. We'd be in a bad place as a society if that's how we did things. But there is a way, there is a system that God has built in which he can freely gift to those who have not earned and do not deserve eternal life, there is a way that God can, by by grace, give to us eternal life. And that happens, that happens freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what is the redemption? What is this redemption that can justify 
people who have failed to keep the standard. Does that mean that God lowers the standard? By no means. The Bible is clear. The standard, as Mike Tomlin likes to say, is the standard. It's, it's, it's perfect, sinless righteousness. And so how can God justify allowing into eternal life those who have not earned that eternal life? He does through, so through Jesus Christ. The last thing you see on the handout is this. Jesus was born to justify God's mercy. Jesus was born to justify God's mercy. Here's the beauty of this passage. Even though you and I fall short of God's glorious standard, even though you and I have not lived the life of righteousness that he requires, he sent his son so that we could be justified freely by his grace through this redemption in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 says, God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood. And you have to understand what a mercy seat is. Mercy seat in, in uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system was the place where, where uh, the offerings for sin were sacrificed and placed. And so what, what the Bible is saying is that God made Jesus an offering for our sin. God presented him as, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. How does that demonstrate God's righteousness? The, the hard-to-swallow truth is that our sin, that my sin and your sin against God is so much worse than we often think it is that it actually required for God to sacrifice his own son in our place. If the penalty of sin in our justice system, we attempt to assign appropriate punishment, we don't, we don't, we don't throw people in prison for life because they stole a candy bar at a 7-Eleven, but we do put people in prison for life if they've committed heinous murder. We try to assign punishment that fits the crime. And the shocking thing is, is that when God decides to punish our crime, our sin against him, he does so by sacrificing his only son, his, his perfect sinless son. That ought to speak to us about how heinous our sin really is in his sight. You and I think, yeah, nobody's perfect. I'm not really that bad of a person. I didn't do this or I didn't do that. But God makes clear how bad our sin really is in sending his son to die in our place. How bad is my sin that anybody would have to die, let alone the son of God? And so what God is doing, if we go back to verse 25, we were at to demonstrate his righteousness. What he's doing is he is justifying his mercy. It goes on to say, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. For thousands of years of human history, before Jesus went to the cross, sin was seemingly unpunished. Now, it's true, there were times when God did directly punish people. There are stories in the Bible of God directly punishing people as a response to their sin. But there was a lot of people getting away with a lot of sin for a long time. 
That's why as you read the Old Testament before Jesus came, the, the, it's a common theme. You hear people crying out, God, how long? How long will you allow the wicked to prosper? How long will you allow the sins of evil men and women to go unpunished? The answer was this long until Jesus came to be the sacrifice for their sins. God was, as it says here in in Romans 3, passing over, or he was looking past. Don't, Don't think that that means that God was ignoring sin. He was He was withholding his wrath. He was withholding his judgment until the appropriate time. That appropriate time came the night that Jesus was born. Because God was preparing a sacrifice for those sins which he had passed over. God was preparing a sacrifice for the sins that you and I would commit 2,000 years later. That's why it says in verse 26, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just, listen to these two things, so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. God has to make a choice between justice and mercy. Justice means we get what we deserve. Justice means we pay the penalty for our sins. Justice means that God's just punishment for sin falls on us. Mercy means that we get to live. Mercy means that we get to know him. Mercy means that we get to spend eternity with him. God must choose. And if he, if he chooses mercy, then he becomes unjust. Think of it this way. You know, there are times in our lives when we feel the need for justice. There are times in our lives when we don't want the judge or the, the, the courts to show mercy. Imagine if while you're here at church tonight, this might give some of you anxiety, I apologize in advance, but imagine while you're here at church tonight, somebody breaks in your home and they steal all of your gifts, and they steal, they eat all of your Christmas cookies, and they just ransack your home and do terrible things to your home. And you go home, and your Christmas is just destroyed. Like, this is awful. Every, everything that we had planned is now ruined. Imagine that person gets picked up by the cops a little bit later in the evening. What do you want? Do you want mercy? <laughs> Do you want the cops to look at that guy and say, hey, you know what, it's Christmas. Enjoy the cookies. Enjoy the gifts. No, you want justice. Punish him. Make him pay. He, his crimes, his, his sins are, are not without consequences. He has harmed people. What kind, what kind of justice system overlooks sins? So that's the predicament that God has. By the way, don't be anxious. It's way too cold for anybody to be out breaking into houses tonight. <laughs> Nobody's going to steal your cookies tonight. But, but a God who only shows mercy is unjust. And what kind of world is that to live in where there is no justice? But if he acts out of justice, then we must be eternally separated from him. And so he has a plan. He's going to be just, and he's going to show mercy. 
He satisfies his divine need for justice by punishing the sinless son of God in our place. Because he punished Jesus, sins are no longer overlooked. Because he punished Jesus, nobody can say, there's no justice. There's no, pun- there's no penalty for sin. You can just do whatever you want. The penalty is that Jesus, the sinless son of God, died at the hands of God's eternal wrath. So he satisfies this need for justice. And now, because Jesus did that willingly on our behalf, and because he rose on the third day, he now lives to offer mercy. Now, through Jesus, not through our own actions, not through our own righteousness, not through our own obedience, not by being religious, not by showing up to church, not by giving to the needy, not by anything that we can do, but through Jesus and through Jesus alone, he can now justify the lawbreakers. He can give mercy to sinners like you and I. Because Jesus was born to justify God's mercy. It's why he lived. It's why he's the greatest gift that was ever given. This passage says again and again, it's by, it's by grace. It's by grace that we can be justified and made righteous. Grace is an undeserved gift. It is not something you worked for. It's not something you earned. It's not even what you deserve We deserve punishment for our sins. But the thing about grace is that it must be received. And one of the, I think, really just helpful pictures, redeeming images of Christmas is this exchanging of gifts. Because some of us are just really bad gift receivers. You might be sitting beside one of these people. You give them a gift and it doesn't, no matter how how comfortable you try to make them about it. They're always like, no, you shouldn't have. Why did you do this? I can't possibly accept this. You know, and it's like, just say thanks. Just say thanks. Just say, I love it. And in order to be justified through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his, his act of mercy, we must be willing to receive the gift. And to receive it, gratefully to say thanks thanks Jesus I love it it's just what I needed to be able to receive his gift let let this Christmas season be a reminder that God has given to you the greatest gift any human being has ever been gifted he is giving to you if you will receive it by faith he's giving to you righteousness that you did not earn He is giving to you eternal life that you do not deserve. He is washing away your sin, holding none of your sin against you so that you can be justified freely by his grace. Receive that gift. And perhaps for some of you tonight, you need to receive that gift tonight before you leave because you've not done that. And it's time this Christmas to start to start a new chapter in your life. It's a chapter of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior and living the rest of your life to follow and obey him. I want to invite you on that journey. I want to invite you to take that step to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight. So before we begin singing and worshiping again, would you just close your eyes, bow your heads with me?
If there's anybody here tonight who needs to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, to ask him to come into their lives, to bring salvation, to justify them, and to give them mercy, then I just want you to pray along with me. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for being born to save sinners like me. This is the greatest gift that has ever been given. And tonight I receive it. And tonight I want to say thanks. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've separated myself from you and that I deserve to be punished for what I've done. But tonight I'm just grateful that you died in my place. That you came to forgive my sins. That you came to give me eternal life. Tonight would you come into my life. Live inside of me. Wash away my sin. Forgive me of all the wrong I've done against you. Grant me eternal life. And teach me to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. It's just what I needed. And it's everything I ever wanted. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.